السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ پیس اینڈ بلیسنگ فلا بی اپن یو آل ویلکم ونس اگین ہیئر ان ڈرائیو ٹائم شو یو لسننگ ٹو انیک الرحمٰن اینڈ آئی ایم اسپیکنگ فرام دا وائس آف اسلام ریڈیو ہیئر ان لنڈن آئی ہوپ ایوری بیز ڈوئنگ ویل ویدر از سلائٹلی بیٹر نو ریننگ ہوپ فلی ویل سی سم ادر شائنی ڈیز سنی ڈیز سون ایز وی ور ہیونگ بفور Moving on to our topics, as we know, as our, you know, regular listeners, they know, we discuss two topics, one in each hour, it's four to six live, and in the first hour, we'll be discussing parenting, and we'll be discussing what's your style, how you are doing parenting, and how we can do effectively, and what are the things which we should mind when we are, we will take care of when we are doing parenting. We'll be discussing this topic in depth. We will be having some guests who will be speaking on this topic and will give some insight and the way how to treat children and how to improve parenting. For this, you can call us if you want to share your experience, if you want to add something. Uh, the lines are open. You can call us on 0208-687-7878. And you can tweet at Voice of Islam UK. Parenting, you know, is a highly possible full-time role uh, that requires a great deal of attention and time. And different families have different ways of interacting uh, with their children. Cultural backgrounds also impact the way children are raised by parents. Every parent approaches differently in terms of interacting and guiding their children. We see in our daily life that... the different backgrounds are there different people they treat their people you know children differently and there's a different way indeed how they are you know interacting and guiding their children when we discuss islam islam teaches that children are a blessing is a blessing from god almighty and their proper you know uh, reigning the way we are you know growing them up is a means of you know gaining allah's pleasure it is no wonder that whatever there is a Muslim gathering, the, you will always see children with their parents. And that's what we see if we go you know, in, the, in, in the mosque or anywhere, we see that people or the parents, they are there with their children. So parenting style refers to the strategies and approaches that parents use to raise their children. These uh, you know, styles can be significant impact on a children's development, you know, their behavior and overall, you know, well-being. And if we have a look around us, we will notice a wide, you know, variety of parenting uh, styles. However, a commonly used framework of parenting style is used in a psychology, which is based on the work of developmental psychologist Diana uh, Bumrain at the University of California at the Berkeley in the 1960s. And she noticed that, you know, the preschoolers exhibited distinctly different types of behavior and each suggest that there is a close relationship, uh, you know, as I was mentioning, is a behavior and each type of behavior was highly correlated to a specific kind of parenting. And, you know, permanent theory suggests that there is a close relationship between a, the type of parenting style and children's behavior and different parenting style lead to different child development and outcomes. And that's what we see actually in our life, the way we are parenting, the way we are, you know, raising them up, the way we are treating them, the way we are speaking with them. Every single thing, you know, impact on their life. It build, you know, the, the, the way they, the, 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 they, you know, when they grow up, you will see how they have been, 
you know, raised up, what, you know, the parents have, uh, you know, how they have treated them, how they have guided them. So every single thing or every single thing reflects when they grow up and when, you know, they interact with, with the society. And that's what we will be discussing today, uh, that how we can bring a positive change or how, can, how we can, you know, uh, have a better parenting. And uh, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessing will be upon him, emphasized that Allah's reward is great for parents who took after the moral and spiritual needs of their children. Mothers are given the primary responsibility for caring for children, even though, you know, the father has his own role to play, but mothers have been given primary responsibility for caring your children. And there's a reward for the child, for, for the parents who take care of their children morally and spiritually. You know, moving on, uh, we will be having our first guest uh, who will be joining us now. And uh, we will take um, uh, on air Dr. Laura Markham. Uh, Dr. Laura Markham trained as a clinical psychologist at Columbia University. Uh, she's also a mom and, you know, so she, she understands kids and, and she, she, of course, as you know, she's parent as well and she uses her PhD to translate proven science and child development research into the practical solutions you need for the family life you want. Dr. Laura Markham is the author of three best-selling books in the Peaceful Parenting series and, you know, the, the founding editor of, you know, ahaparenting.com. We'd like to, you know, welcome her in the show. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Laura, for joining us today. To move on uh, with the first question we have for you, could you please tell us what are some effective strategies for fostering a positive child parenting, uh, you know, child parent relationship? Well, parents first have to calm themselves down when they're upset, right? Most of us are, we love our kids, and when we're in a good place, we can be loving to our children. Mm -hmm. But when we get upset, that all goes away, and we're just mad, and we wish they wouldn't throw their things on the floor or hit their sister or whatever they're doing. So the first thing for parents is to manage their own emotions, to self-regulate, to take care of themselves so they have some inner resources. You can count on kids being tough sometimes, being difficult. So if you as a parent can take care of yourself so you can show up as that patient parent that you want to be, your kids will be much more responsive to your direction and also you'll be a lot closer to your kids. True. Uh, I think that's very important. I think some of the time, as you said, they are loving when then they are mad. They don't think what they are doing. They're very much right. Yes. Moving on to the next question. How can you know the parents manage their own stress and maintain their own well-being while raising children? This is, of course, the hardest thing because mm. modern life is so stressful, right? True. The only way to do it is what I call preventive maintenance. It's like when you drive a car, you have to change the oil in your car or your car's going to break down. So for us, we need to have practices. We need prayer or meditation in our lives. We need exercise. We need enough sleep. We need to eat well. The, the basic things to take care of ourselves. But we also need 
to talk to ourselves mm. like someone we love. One of the jobs of parents is to learn how to parent themselves well, because most of us didn't get perfect parenting, even though our parents loved us. So we need to learn to manage ourselves, to be encouraging and compassionate to ourselves so that we have more inside so that we can then turn around to our children and be encouraging and compassionate. Very much right. Uh, so then what advice do you have for parents uh, on navigating the di- digital age and managing screen time for children? I think it's very much you know, important nowadays. In, in, I think in uh, a few years back it was much easier, but nowadays they have their phones in their hands, the digital age they're living in. So what do you suggest for, for the parents how to navigate the, in, in this digital age? Well, first of all, we could talk about this for an hour. There's a lot to talk about. Mm. Uh, And in fact, I have articles on my website. Aha, like aha, Mm -hmm. like when you discover something, ahaparenting.com. There are articles on everything you and I are discussing, but also about managing screen time. But the short answer to your question is this. Before you ever get your child a phone, you talk about what you expect and you make an agreement. You sign an agreement, and there's an agreement that you can download from my website. You sign an agreement with your child, and then you go over every single day in the beginning. You go over your child's phone usage. Mm-hmm. So you're finding out what got texted today, who asked them for a photograph today, and what kind of photograph. You're paying attention to what your child is doing to help them learn to handle, to become a good citizen, a digital citizen, and to help them learn to handle all of the social dynamics. I always advise parents to wait as long as they can to give their child a phone and to be sure that they are being a good role model. So there, I, I think parents need to put their phone away when they're with their kids. They need to not be scrolling in front of the kids not be ignoring the kids while they're on their phone. When we do that, kids get the message that this is what that phones are the most valuable thing mm. and this is how you handle a phone, right? So we need to supervise their usage. We need to structure it from the beginning that there will be some limits on their usage, no phones at the table, no phones in the bedroom. And we need to role model how they can best handle their phone. Uh, very much right. Uh, Dr. Laura, if uh, you know, I think one of the questions I would like to ask now, I think it's something pe- parents do not pay attention to. Um, you know, how can parents handle sibling rivalry and promote healthy sibling relationship? I think, personally, I think uh, parents do not pay that much attention. They think, I think that's fine. They are fighting. They will be fine after a few minutes. Well, the research shows that that's not true. Hmm. The research shows that when you don't intervene, hmm. Kids get the message that they, the stronger child is going to win. You're mm. basically endorsing the bully. Whoever the child is who's bigger or stronger or more forceful, they're going to win the argument, and the other child is not. And you're making it part of their self-image for the rest of their life, that they're a victim. And you're giving them the message that you don't care about their well-being. So kids do not learn to fight fair just by you letting them fight. But on the other hand, we also know, research also shows, that when kids are fighting, 
if you come running into the room and say, all right, that's enough, you know better, you're the oldest kid, you should be nice to your little brother or your little sister, when you do that, Mm. it also doesn't help. Then that child becomes resentful. Mm -hmm. They think you're always favoring the other child. So what research shows is that the best way to handle it when kids are fighting is that you come into the room, you take a deep breath to calm yourself down. That's rule number one. Always regulate your own emotions first. Rule number two is you always connect with the kids. So you come into the room, you say, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm here. You're both safe. It's okay. We're going to work this out. And you connect with each child. You say, so it seems like you're upset because you wanted to play the game the way you played at school. And you're upset because you think we should use the family rules. That's a hard decision. It it's, makes sense that you're both upset about this. We can work this out. So you're acknowledging each child's point of view. Now, you might also have to uphold the family rules. If someone is being mean to the other kid, you say, our family rule is be kind. You can tell your brother what you want without attacking him. No name-calling. We don't call names in this family. Hmm. No name-calling. So you're upholding the family rules, but you're not making, you're not taking sides. You're taking the side of justice and peace. You're not taking the side of one child or the other. And so you're not making the child wrong. You're helping them to listen to each other. So you say, one of the children is angry and is yelling, you say, take a breath, sweetie. You have something important to tell your sister. I hear you. Take a breath and say it in a way she can understand, that she can hear you without screaming at her. So we're helping them learn to communicate. And after they've both told each other what they want or need, then you say, wow, so those are things you both feel really strongly about. Now, can you tell each other what you just heard? You're helping, you're not taking sides. You're helping them learn to communicate with each other. And when you intervene this way, what research shows is, you'll overhear them from the other room. One will say, no, that's wrong. And the other will say, you can tell me what you want without yelling at me. And you'll hear them start to express the skills that you have taught them. Hmm. It takes about a month or two, depending on the age of your child. Little kids learn faster. Older children are more in bad habits, and they take a little longer. But they will learn to work things out in a way that makes them closer if you intervene this way. Hmm, such a good advice. Anything else would you like to add? And because I think <laughs> you have written three books, of course, uh, we want people to read it, but I think sometimes people are listening to the show. Anything else would you like to advise? And uh, after that, I think we have uh, another presenter with me, um, you know, Dr. Tariq Bajwa. He's with me, and he would like to ask something as well from you after, after this question. Excellent. Thank you. The thing I'd like to add is that we know from research that treating kids in certain ways works or doesn't work. What we've learned is that, that when you're very authoritarian, it doesn't work. Children get rebellious and angry, and they don't learn to take responsibility because they feel like no one understands them. When we're very permissive, they also don't learn to take responsibility because we never ask them to. When we just 
ignore kids and figure they'll work it out, they feel unsupported. And they also don't learn, well, they don't learn they have value in the world and what they do, do matters. So the sweet spot, what works, we now know, is when you guide kids and have high expectations for them and set limits as necessary to guide them. But you do all of that from a calm, loving place where you empathize. I hear you. You really wish you didn't have to clean up your toys and get ready for bed. We always clean up our toys. Then we don't break them and we don't, we don't trip on them and break them in the morning. So let's work together. We always clean up our own messes. I'll help you. So we, we are loving. We empathize with them. We understand why they feel that way. We don't make them wrong. But we also insist on the limit of them developing the good habit for an orderly home, for instance. So when we parent that way with what I call empathic limits, children learn to, they feel understood, and they feel like they don't always get what they want, but they get something better. They get a parent who understands them and loves them and encourages them no matter what. And those are the kids who become responsible, who become compassionate toward other people, who become more able to manage themselves and do well in life. Okay, that's great, uh, Dr. Laura. I, I think it's, uh, it's a very, very important subject, and uh, we've uh, you know learned from you a lot. Um, my question was that there are lots of parents listening to us right now, and this is a, a big problem. Uh, many parents who were uh, obviously uh, raised by the the parents who were uh, very authoritarian rather than being authoritative and how you know what would be your advice to the parents that where they can learn from the the best parenting how can they keep a balance between being authoritarian and being permissive because of the demands from the children who are you know, living in a digital age and would tell you, oh, what do you know about this? And, uh, you know, of course, leading to sometimes even neglect. Well, first of all, we all are, we all faced with the task of growing ourselves up and taking care of ourselves and learning to parent ourselves. And often that means that we need to change the inner voice. If you were raised with an authoritarian parent, your inner voice says you're not good enough, and it beats up on you, and that's not helpful to any of us. So we need to develop a more compassionate voice toward ourselves. That's the first thing. And we need to notice, just bring more awareness, do more preventive maintenance, as I said earlier, to, so that we have more inner resources, and then notice what we're doing. So when we find ourselves starting to raise our voice at our children. We can stop. I call this stop, drop, breathe. It's the pause button. Stop, take a, drop your agenda and take a deep breath. <sighs> okay, I was starting to raise my voice at you, honey, sweetheart, you say to your child, and I'm going to stay calm here. I also need you to cooperate. We need to turn the screen off. I see it's really hard for you. I will help you. It is time to turn the screen off now. We always turn it off. We agreed you had a half an hour of screen time now. Now we're going to turn it off. Now, your child might protest. What do you know? All the kids do this. You don't know anything. And you say, I hear you. You wish you could keep using the screen. 
I understand, and it's time to turn it off. I'm your mother or I'm your father. And you turn it off. Your child's allowed to not like it, but you still impose your limits. And you can be very understanding about it. Your child might say, no, how can you do that? And you probably want to yell back at them, don't you yell at me. Instead, you take a breath and you say, I see you're really disappointed. And you walk out of the room. You don't yell back at them, but you also don't engage in a back and forth when they're upset. Later, later, they will often come to you and apologize. I'm sorry I yelled at you. And you say, thank you for your apology. I work really hard never to raise my voice to you. You can tell me what you want without raising your voice at me. So we're always working on the emotional level to offer understanding, but we're also setting limits on the practical, physical level. Um, I think one point which I I should reiterate is, and you mentioned that the prayers are one of the most important things which you have to do for children, and especially Islam teaches, as we are voice of Islam. So Islam particularly teaches the parents to pray for their children even before they are born and during their lifetime and continue to pray so that they are guided in the right way and they uh, you know, grow up to be a beneficial person. Thank you very much uh, for joining us today, Dr. Laura Markham. And, You're uh, very welcome. And may you. I add that I believe that when we pray and we ask God for support for our child to be a beneficial person, we can also listen for God to say to us what our child needs from us. We can say, how can I be a better parent? And we will hear. Absolutely. Thank you very much for joining us, and uh, have a Thank nice evening. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So you were <clears throat> listening to Dr. Laura Maham, and uh, she was speaking how to have best parenting and, uh, you know, <clears throat> she has discussed in depth. I think these are the things we need to take care of. Most of the time, uh, we have uh, we have to go for jobs. We have uh, children to raise. There are more than one children. We are, have a busy schedule. We don't have time sometimes. And, uh, you know, a situation comes when we are yelling at children. I think there's something we need to work on. We have to be more patient and we have to understand that how we have to tackle them. And again, you know, as discussed, the prayers are very necessary. It's very important to raise your children. Even though you have worked very hard when they have grown up, you see sometime even though you have done great parenting, even then, after after the, when they are in their teen, the 15, and then onwards, they are dragging away. And for that, one should be praying to God Almighty, you know, to, do, to make them remain on the uh, right path and we we know that God helps and uh, you know you, you right parenting and with the help of God Almighty uh, we see that uh, it's the best way to you know raise your children and <clears throat> we should be listening to I think there was one other thing uh, Dr. Tariq Bajwad that we don't read that much on these things we think you know it's a very yeah. common thing we will do it without, uh, you know, learning how to do best parenting. Absolutely. This is something, you know, and sometimes I feel that the younger parents, they are better parents in mm. a way that, they you know, they, they get the 
they they are in well informed they know more they study about it uh, and uh, because uh, of you know their own parents they were not capable of training them so well as they themselves would like to be so obviously um, you know so they when when you see them training their children they they are better off and they have a better relationship with their children as well i think they to understand as well they have seen and they see how things are there out there because sometime as we were discussing in the beginning parents are from different cultures the, the, you know they have seen their parents how they have been parenting and the, the, the children have grown up here they have seen that the and ways. they don't want to be like them exactly. so, so they, they find in different ways i think it is best that uh, you are right we've have seen the young younger parents they treat them differently and i think that's very good a positive change and now how we going to go to our next guest uh, professor wendy gronick she is uh, you know a professor of psychology at clark university her research focuses on how parents and teachers can create environments that facilitate children's motivation she is also interested in what factors help you know caregivers provide these all facilitative environments so i welcome her in the show assalamu alaikum peace be upon you and thank you very much for joining us today my pleasure thank you so much for having me Uh professor if we move on with the question uh, what aspect of parenting have been found to promote resilience and self-esteem in children Yeah it's a great question um we actually now know some things about what um is most facilitative for resilience and self-esteem in kids um and there are really three things that parents do that are most important and this goes across cultures although we can talk a little bit later about how these things might differ in different cultures but um what is being involved you know being spending time knowing what's going on with your child being really affectionate so involvement is a really important thing the second thing that seems really important is supporting the kids feeling like they are active and agents and not sort of passive so when parents support kids autonomy they take their perspectives they listen to their opinions um they involve them in decision making sometimes they problem solve together and that's very different than sort of pressuring and pushing and saying you know do it because i said so um and so that's autonomy support and then the third thing that seems helpful for kids is providing some structure um so when um parents provide some expectations and guidelines and uh and sometimes rules and clear consequences kids really know then what's expected of them and they know how to be competent and so when parents provide that structure kids feel more able to sort of affect the world and and so when kids feel loved from the involvement when they feel like they have some autonomy or volition about what they do which is autonomy and when the, which which is facilitated by autonomy support and when they feel competent to sort of know what to do in the world which is provided by structure then they do feel more good, good about themselves good about their abilities they can snap back better when you know they they hit a rough patch and and be resilient 
Very much right. Um, you know, Professor, if we discuss the culture, I think so something is very important I would like to ask. Do cultural and societal or individual factors influence how parenting affects children? And what can be done to, to, to you know, do a better parenting while having the same, you know, the cultures are going to remain the same and society most of the time will remain the same. So what can be done? Can you please, if you can, shed some light upon this as well? Sure. When 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 I when I came in, I heard you talking a little bit about parents sort of sometimes struggling to not be the you know do the things that they didn't like mm-hmm. when they were kids, and and you know parents are very affected by their own situations when mm-hmm. they're you know when they're when they're stressed themselves. It's really hard to be involved when they're you know struggling. So so it, you know the factors that are in parents' worlds very much affect how they parent. Um, and sometimes we do parent in ways that, you know, we don't really want to because of the struggles around us. Um, but what we found in our research is that those three things, involvement, autonomy, support, structure, are really important for kids. But in different cultures, the same things that parents do might be interpreted differently. So, for example, when parents in the U.S. When, uh, give their kids some, some leeway in decision-making and the kids say, oh, my parents helped let me decide some things, that's positive for kids. But in, a, in a, um, we, some work that we did in Ghana, which is um, in a, a more hierarchical culture, when we said, when, when kids said, my parents let me decide things, that wasn't good for them. They felt that that was a way their parents weren't caring about them. So different behaviors can be interpreted differently. But we did find in Ghana that when parents um, took kids' perspectives and problem-solved with them and weren't pressuring of them, that still was positive. But the things that they do might really be very culturally specific. So we really have to tune into that when we when we work with parents. Very much right. Um, you know, then are, are there any specific challenges or consideration for different developmental stages of a child in terms of you know, parenting? And how can parents adapt their parenting to meet uh, you know those challenges. Yeah, great question. Um, well, the, the when I mean, if we think kind of think about it, the goal of parenting is to not have kids do specific things, but to sort of take on the values that are important in the culture. Hmm. You know, whether they be being clean or whether they be helping other people. And so, uh, what we want to do when we when we are being involved in autonomy, supportive, and structuring is make sure what, that what we're asking kids to do is within their developmental range. So they can't take on something that they don't understand or that's too hard for them. So we, what we want to do is communicate what we want them to do and the reasons for doing it in a way that they can understand. Um, so, um, and, that, and that makes sense to them. And then they'll go on and kind of internalize that and take it on themselves. So we, if, you know, if you're asking kids to understand why they're walking the dog, um, they have to be a certain age to understand how that helps the dog. So, so we want to make sure that when we parent um, and we ask kids to do things that they're, it's in their developmental range. Um, and so we may be giving kids some autonomy, right, some, some choicefulness about what they do, but we want to make sure that the choices are, you know, developmentally appropriate. We're giving uh, you know, older kids, uh, maybe more choices or uh, choices that 
you know, that, that, that they understand, that makes sense to them. And so we want to make sure that, that we're thinking about where the kids are and what they can understand in terms of what, they're, what we're asking them to do. And, and, and how do, do you think the parents should handle, you know, disagreements in parenting styles between their, you know, partners and co-parents? Some, you know, see sometimes uh, one is lenient, one thinks something is not right, you know, there should be a more strict, uh, should more be stricter on this, but, you know, the different uh, understanding of things, then how, uh, you know, the parents should uh, cope with each other you know, the behavior, some is more lenient, some are more stricter. What do you say on this? Right. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting. We used to think that parents had to be exactly consistent or mm-hmm. it was problematic for the child. And it's really not so much the case. Kids are pretty good at figuring out, well, you know, dad feels this way a little bit, mom feels this way a, bit, a little bit. When I go to grandma's house, it's, <laughs> it's kind of this way. And, and that's okay. <laughs> we don't have to be completely consistent. It doesn't seem to hurt children where we're completely consistent. But I think the more problematic thing is when, uh, of course, when parents openly disagree with their, with, with each other and in front of the kids. And so what they want to do is, is take that into a private time and chat about their own views, figure out a plan going forward that they can both be behind and try to, you know, save those conversations for not in, in front of the kids. Um, but the little, you know, uh, if parents are, you know, mostly doing the things we talked about before and, um, but they're a little bit one stricter, one's a little less strict, that that's not going to be really problematic for the kids. They, they, they figure it out. And anything else you would like to advise parents? I think so, so many things can be said on this, isn't it? Uh, but if you would like to advise something particular, uh, on parenting, that would be great. Um, know that it, that yeah, there's so much to be said about parenting, and um, yeah, I think that uh, that parent, you know, that 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 sometimes the the, the world and that we the stresses around us get uh, get us when we're mm. parents, and and that's totally understandable. And so um, we want to sort of keep faith that if we if we do the these these nurturing things with kids, that you know that it, that that it'll all it'll all be okay and we need it as parents really take care of ourselves so that we can provide the things that the, that the kids need indeed indeed very much said just one, one thing i think is very current is the the uh, sort of difference or um gap between the you know the digital gap between the parents and the children and uh, obviously it is it is becoming less now but uh you know with the older um parents they that there was a big gap of uh, digital technology because they are not they were not very familiar whereas the children were far ahead of them so how do we deal with that uh, you know while you are you know you, you want to be proper parents and you want to guide your children properly regarding this as well yeah that's a great topic because in our research use of technology is one of the very biggest things that parents say that they are struggling with and that's, that they become conflictual in their homes because just like you say, parents may not even know some of the things that kids know. So really trying to educate yourself about, um, about safety and um, the, the, the challenges to 
not be intrusive with your kids and in terms of monitoring everything they do because if you the more intrusive and pushy you get the more kids will hide things from you right so um so you want to have to try to keep an open conversation about what they're doing and what their choices are um keeping your eye out but not being too intrusive and keeping that conversation open and really educating yourself but it is a big challenge Okay, that's great. Uh, Professor Wendy Glodnik, thank you very much for joining us uh, the Voice of Islam Radio this evening. And uh, it has been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, I think uh, all our listeners must have benefited out of it. Thank you uh, uh, for giving us so much time. And uh, uh, hopefully we'll see you again sometimes because it's such an important to- topic. We, we might bring it up again. Thank you and have a nice evening. Uh, thank you. It was my pleasure. And um Hope, uh, hope it was helpful in some way. Thank you very much. And we'd love to come back. Thank yeah, you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Indeed. All right. Indeed. Indeed. Bye-bye. So now, uh, as you were listening uh, to Professor, and he, she was discussing uh, how to have a better parenting, uh, we... <clears throat> you know, this was discussing in the beginning, uh, in the first, uh, you know, five minutes uh, when we started the show in the introduction that uh, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, emphasized that Allah's reward is great for parents who took or who look after the moral and spiritual needs of their children. Mothers are given the primary responsibility for caring for children. I think we have discussed <clears throat> the worldly how uh, we can have a better uh, how to raise up children in, in, in a perfect manner and uh, we had two guests who discussed this in depth and uh, on the other side there's mentioned the the saying of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him and uh, you know I think there's something we have to take care of and we have these will go hand to hand and we have to work the, the, on the morals you know, as you have heard, and there's some other things, and we'll be discussing that, and the spiritual need. Sometimes we do not pay attention on the spiritual need. We think that uh, uh, they will, they will, they will decide when they're grown up. But you know, we have to understand that the way we are, you know, guiding them on every single step. You know, if they're going to school, what they have to do. They, we are following every step to make them better person. You know, they, they're well educated. In the similar way, we have to show them a right path, a spiritual right path, a path uh, to, to, to because we know, we understand the, the path of religion is the religion which has given us everything. The morals we have learned from the God Almighty is the one who has, you know, sent to us and through 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 the prophets we have learned uh, good morals and how how can be a better person how can be you know more spiritual even though you know we think sometimes that these things came just uh, in, in societies even though if you go back you know 100 or 200 years ago these things existed but slowly people have start doing it and then again we see the morals and uh, uh, you know the etiquettes once again we see in the, in the western world I think it's uh, important that we just go go through the um, you know the the various psychological studies which have been done by the um, by the various uh, scholars who have done studies uh, about the psychological aspects of parenting and uh, they have used the com- a commonly um, used framework of parenting styles in psychology and is a Dinah Bombrand at the University of California 
Uh, she has looked upon it, and she noticed that the preschoolers exhibited distinctly different types of behavior, and each type of behavior was highly correlated to a specific kind of parenting. Bombrin's theory suggests that there is a close relationship between the type of parenting style and children's behavior, and different parenting styles lead to different child development and outcomes. Dinah Bombrin identified three parenting styles based on extensive observation, interviews, and analyses, namely authoritative, authoritarian, and permissive. So a fourth parenting style, namely a neglectful parenting style, was later added by um, uh, McCorby and Martin in 83. So if you look at authoritarian parenting, the parenting style has a one-way mode of communication where the parent establishes strict rules and the child obeys. Now, the child does not have a say in it, and the rules are not usually explained, and there is no room for negotiations. Such parents expect their children to uphold these standards without making any errors. And when the child makes a mistake, he or she is punished. So there are strict rules, obedience, discipline, and punishment if the high expectations of parents are not met or the guidelines formed by the parents are not followed by the children. And because they are well aware of the consequences of misbehaving, children that grow up with authoritarian parents will usually be the most well-behaved in the room. These children are also better able to adhere to precise instructions required to reach a goal. So these, this parenting style results in the development of children who are aggressive but may also be shy, socially inept, and unable to make their own decisions. As we heard earlier from one of her, our uh, uh, guests, that she mentioned that their studies in Ghana, it mentioned that they were not expecting themselves to be, to, to be able to make their own decisions and thought that the, the parents were neglecting them by not making decisions for them. So, so they turn out to be aggressive and they may remain unconcorded as they have difficulty managing anger because they were not provided with the proper guidance. And these children also have poor self-esteem, which also impacts their decision-making ability. This strict parental rule and punishments often make the child rebellious against authority figures as they grow older. And the decision-making power in this parenting style rests with the parents, and rarely a child gives his or her input in any matter. As a result of this parenting style, children cannot communicate openly with their parents and struggle with exhibiting social skills, show self low self-esteem, indecisiveness, poor anger management, and resentfulness. Children of authoritarian parents, they tend to have worse outcomes than those with other parents. They are more likely to be less independent, insecure, show more rebellious behavior, more temper tantrums, worse academic performance, poor social competence, less coping skills, and more prone to depression. So the, the, the thing is that we, we have to differentiate be, between the authoritarian parenting mm. and the authoritative parenting, parenting, which is very, very different. Mm. Because in the authoritative parenting, you know, there is a very subtle difference, but it makes a huge difference to the children. So this authoritative parenting style is considered as the ideal parenting style in Bombrin's framework as it consists of a balanced approach between authoritarian and permissive style, mm -hmm. where authoritarian and permissive styles are the two extremes. So authoritative parenting involves high expectations for achievement and, and maturity, 
but authoritative parents are also warm and responsive. Responsive means uh, responsiveness means how much parents are accepting and sensitive to their children's emotional and developmental needs. Rules and boundaries are also set by parents, but there is an open discussion between the parents and children. Parents provide reasoning and explanation for their actions. As a result of this, children get a sense of awareness and learn about values, morals, and goals. This type of parenting normally develops a close and nurturing relationships of parents with their children. Disciplinary methods are used instead of punishment, and children have input into the goals and expectations. Disciplinary methods are reasoned, outcome-oriented, and concerned with regulating behaviors instead of coercive. These methods may include positive reinforcement, setting limits, model behaviors you would like to see in your children, and teaching them right from wrong, acceptable and unacceptable behavior with calm words and actions. And this parenting style results in the healthiest outcomes for children. And as a result of this uh, parenting style, children become confident, they're responsible, and they're able to self-regulate. And the analysis of Taiwan Educational Panel Survey, TAPS, showed that authoritative parenting is positively associated with children's school achievement, while authoritarian parenting is negatively associated with children's school achievement <clears throat> so uh, so authoritarian so this this subtle difference one must understand there is authoritarian and authoritative while authoritative is positive authoritarian is negative and has a negative impact on the children the children who are raised by authoritative parenting are also better able to manage their negative emotions more effectively which leads to better social outcomes and emotional health as these parents encourage independence, their children learn <clears throat> that they are capable of accomplishing goals on their own and children develop self-esteem. Based on Bombrin's research on parenting styles, children of authoritative parents tend to appear happy and content, more independent, more active, high academic performance, higher self-esteem, responsible, they're able to manage aggression, <coughs> sorry, competent social skills, less violent tendencies, good parent-child relationships, and better mental health. The, our Holy Prophet Muhammad, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He was so very kind to children. Uh, for example, there was a bad practice to, during the time of Holy Prophet um, may peace be upon him, where some people would kill their infant girls for fear of poverty or shame. And the Holy Prophet of Islam, he was the one who stopped this practice also, people would take or steal orphans' property, and that was discouraged, and uh, there was punishment, people doing such things. Now, we come to the third hmm. um, uh, part, which is also important to know that one should not go to the other extreme because it will have a negative effect on the children, and this is called permissive parenting, where everything is allowed by parents. Permissive parenting tends to be warm, nurturing, and usually has minimal to no expectations. Permissive parents act more like friends than authoritative figures. They are relaxed and lenient, and household rules are very minimal. There is also open communication in this type of parenting, but parents allow their children to figure out things for themselves. Parents do not like to say no or disappoint their children. That's the, the one thing which we should be very, very careful of. 
that uh, you know uh, you don't want to your child to be not happy with you and that is that has a negative effect so the permissive parents tend to have worse outcomes than those with authoritative or authoritarian parents due to limited rules children may develop unhealthy eating habits which can result in increased obesity health problems parents give their children a lot of freedom such as if if or when they want to do their homework they decide their bedtime their screen time their computers phones tv these children aren't taught moderation which can lead to negative habits and they can become impulsive demanding selfish and less self regulated children raised by this type of parenting style struggle to follow clear rules ag- aggressive egocentric tendencies lack of self control lack of responsibility and lack of support with decision making so this is very important to understand that as a as a father our holy prophet prophet muhammad may peace and blessings of allah be upon him he loved not only his children but his grandchildren as well very dearly while receiving his daughter hazrat fatima may allah be pleased with her he used to rise from his seat kiss her on the forehead and make her sit in his own place so that was giving uh, respect to the child and that's what he advised now one last thing which is called neglectful parenting of course is something where the, the parents are ignoring their children uh, and and they are not you know they're shunning the responsibility um, although they have produced the children but they don't are neither interested in their um, good parenting nor look after them to the extent that they become a useful member of the society children are given a lot of freedom and parents stay out of their children's matters they only fulfill a child's basic needs but remain detached from their child's life the communication between children and parents is also limited now um, here i i i i remember one point that somebody told that uh, you know some people say oh leave the children free and don't tell them about any religion the thing is that if you don't tell them that there is a god what are they going to end up they will never know that there is a god so you mm. have to tell them that there is a god only then they will know that there is god and have that experience and you become a role model yourself in in developing that type of relationship with with your god so this is this is what if the, if you leave them alone they are they are just like animals because they will develop according to their instincts which are natural uh, instincts which which can be um, you know can be useful but can be um, can go on the other extreme as well neglectful parents may have unresolved issues themselves that is the problem and they they might have depression abuse or emotional neglect when they were kids and among the four parenting styles discussed above neglectful parenting has a worst outcome it can result in child's poor school performance inability to self regulate emotions more prone to drug abuse and impulsive nature uh, there's an interesting incident that an arab chief was surprised to see the holy prophet prophet muhammad may peace and blessings of allah be upon him kissing his grandsons so the chief remarked that he had 10 children and he never kissed any one of them the holy prophet may peace be upon him he remarked back one who has no pity for others is himself not pitied by allah the almighty he also said if allah leaves your heart barren of love i cannot help you so it's very very important to show love for your children to show respect to them and have a relationship and be associated with them be friends with them in a manner so that they uh, they 
can depend upon you when they need you. They come, they turn to you rather than going out and go, going away from home. So sometimes the children are left alone at home for hours. You know, this, this is what is happening because people have uh, other priorities. They want to work, they want to earn money. And as a result, if children are suffering, and that's why our current head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmad, may Allah be help, his helper, he is always advised when he is advising mothers-to-be that you have to to choose the, your priority right, that if it is important that your children are suffering, then don't do a job, don't go for your financial benefits, just give the priority to the children because that is what is your res main responsibility and, and that is what you should be doing. So, and, and, and there is a, is a you know, subtle commandment of the Holy Quran as well that which says, and slay not your children for fear of poverty, it is we who provide for you and them. That's from chapter 6, verse 152. So I think in our discussion today, we have discussed in details the different styles of parenting. And one must study them in details. And then uh, I think I'm sure everybody wants to be a better parent and wants their children to grow up into a, a beneficial member of the society. And in order to do so, we should behave ourselves as a parent in the best manner and uh, give proper respect to the children according to the tradition of the Holy Prophet. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And But you have to keep a balance that where the, the, their training is getting involved, you should be um, discipline them in a proper way so that they don't have a negative effect, they have a positive effect, and you, they have a healthy relationship with their parents, where they, are, they can they can come to you, they can trust upon you, they can um, you know put their shoulder, uh, put put their head on your shoulder, and and they can speak to you confidently. The Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Uh, he said, and that's where we conclude. He said that a person who cherishes love for his children and does his duty to them shall be saved from the fire of hell. And of course, everybody wants to be away from the, the hellfire. May Allah enable us to do that and become good parents and receive the, the blessings and prayers of our children, which are long-lasting and which you receive even after you pass away. We'll uh, join again in the second hour of the news at the moment. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessing of Allah be upon you all. And welcome once again uh, in the studio here in Voice of Islam. You're listening to Anik Rahman 
and I'm joined by Dr. Tariq Bajwa, who's with me in the studio. <clears throat> in the first hour, we've been discussing a very, very important topic regarding parenting, how's your style, and what can be done to improve your parenting. And there are many things, uh, you know, we have discussed that how, you know, one can do better parenting. In this hour, again, I think very interesting topic, very you know, near to the hearts of uh, Muslims and uh, myself indeed. You know, the Holy Prophet, uh, peace be upon him, will be discussing his, uh, you know, characteristic, his noble personality and one aspect of his life, you know, which is prominent and, you know, he lived his life for that, which is love for God Almighty. From the very first day, from very young age, as we know, he was an orphan and he was living with his uncle and then grandfather as well. But he was inclined towards good deed. When he grew up, his search, he was in search for God Almighty. He used to stay in, you know, Cave Hira where he used to worship and use search for his God. And Allah the Almighty, you know, after 40 years of supplication towards God Almighty has given him responsibility to become a prophet. He was a prophet where there was a darkness. He got the spirituality. He found him, God Almighty. And God Almighty himself showed him a way to how bring you know, this whole world out of darkness and show them who they are. And show them how they can be a true servant of God Almighty. And for that we see he has loved himself to God Almighty. And he's shown from his own noble character that how, you know, God can be loved. He has shown his prime example how he used to love God Almighty how he used to worship, how he used to do every single act in his life for God Almighty and, the, you know, whatever he's done, the ultimate goal was to please Allah the Almighty. And this is the topic we'll be discussing in this hour that the love of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, for Allah the Almighty. The Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, may Allah please peace and blessing of Allah be upon him. You know, love Allah the Almighty was evident in his words, in his actions, and in his entire way of life. He spoke of Allah with great reverence and love, and he always sought to please Him. He performed, you know, in his life obligatory and supergratory acts of worship with great devotion. Because the ultimate goal he had in his mind that whatever I'm doing on this world, I'm doing to please God Almighty, and that's why that that's what you know gave him uh, uh, the the uh, ability or you know the, the passion to do everything with great devotion. He was always mindful of Allah the Almighty, has never forgot him, even in the most difficult times, and we see. That even though it was difficult times or there was happiness, he always remembered. And that's what he taught to his companion. That in, in, in difficulties, everybody remember God Almighty. But do remember 
God Almighty, when you're in ease. You know, he was always mindful of Allah. He has never forgot him. You know, and he loved to spend time in the company of Allah the Almighty. And he would often, you know, retire uh, to, a, to a cave, as I mentioned earlier, to meditate and pray. He was filled with compassion for all of creation. And he would always strive to help those in need. He was a model of humility and obedience and he always put the will of Allah before his own. And this is what he has shown to his companion as well. That what we have to do, that we have to put the will of Allah the Almighty before us. We have to live our life as God wants from us. Whatever he says to do, we should do. Whatever he says not to and you know prohibit, we should not be doing it. You know, his love of Allah the Almighty was so great that it inspired him to bring the message of Islam to the world. Now here are some additional details from the articles that the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said that I, I love Allah more than I love myself, my family and all of mankind. So see how he used to look upon God Almighty. Whether it was difficult time or time of ease, he remembered God Almighty. You know, there will be, uh, many things will be mentioned today. One of the, the hadiths, the saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, coming in, coming in my mind, where one of the wife of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, Aisha, you know, saw the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, praying and praying to God Almighty and supplicating. And she basically asked the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, why you are praying that much? Even though God has given you glad tidings, you will be going to paradise. Then he replied, there shouldn't be either person who is being grateful to God Almighty? Shouldn't be, you know, shouldn't be, uh, I should be uh, performing more supplication to God Almighty just to thank Him, to be grateful. That's how He was. Even though He had a very great bond with God Almighty, God used to speak Him regularly, but He has shown that yes, He has truly loved God Almighty. He cannot survive without supplication towards God Almighty, without speaking with Him. And that's what we'll be discussing and we will be discussing in depth to make, you know, once again, uh, to understand that how He loved God Almighty and how we should be loving God Almighty by following its footsteps. One of the things, the verse of the Holy Quran says, Sibhat Allah, that, you know, try to uh, inculcate the colors of God Almighty uh, within yourself. And that's what we see when we see the noble example of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that he, we, we can see, you know, the, the, the uh, characteristic of God Almighty within him and he has the true colors of God and he has understood the verse and shown that how we can act upon even that verse. So, we, as I mentioned, you know, uh, he, he was so compassionate that he would even weep when he saw an animal uh, being mistreated. It's not that he only loved God Almighty, he had the characteristic of God Almighty. You know, God Almighty uh, have uh, uh, to take care of the you know all the mankind and compassionate towards everyone. The same way, you know, we see even the Holy Prophet peace be upon him so compassionate that he would even weep when he saw an animal being mistreated, and how and he was so humble that uh, he would never boast about his own accomplishments, never ever. And he was so obedient to God Almighty that he would never disobey even the smallest of his commands. And the Holy Prophet, you know, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, love of Allah 
was inspiration to all who knew him and it continues to inspire muslims around the world today and that's what we'll be discussing today and uh, before you know handing over uh, to dr tariq bajwa you know the allah taala in the holy quran almighty says that if you love allah then follow me and allah will love you and forgive your sins and basically if we need to understand this verse the holy prophet even the quran this is a verse of the holy quran but the holy prophet peace be upon him is related to prophet peace be upon him that if you love allah then follow me because i have shown you the path which pleases god almighty then what will happen allah will love you and forgive your sins such a you know great glad tidings a way i think is easy way to uh, this is this is the words of the holy quran that means that this is the words of god and god almighty himself says yes. that you know if you want the love of allah then you have to follow the holy prophet the footsteps of the holy prophet true may peace and blessings of allah be upon him so that is the key to getting closer to god almighty that if you start following the holy mm. prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him and of course when you follow him then you follow the love he had for god almighty as well True. and uh, you know to the extent he was mentioning god almighty so much mm. in all his conversations in everything what he did he there was a prayer and and he was and the purpose of the prayer was to remember god almighty remember you god know almighty. when he'd start eating he would uh, say a prayer when he's coming out of the Sleeping, house he'll say up, prayers yeah. when he sees the moon he says prayers when he you know so everything whatever he did hmm. he he said prayers and he supplicated to god almighty and remembered his his god to the extent that you know not only muslims the the, the opponents the non believers they 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 were saying you know he's gone crazy you know when hmm. you are in love with someone you go crazy and and they said ashika muhammad rabbahu that muhammad has become you know lover, lover. of god almighty yes. Uh, and and what uh, apparently they were trying to ridicule him but but this ridicule shows the extent to which the love of uh, god was the opponent have seen it yes the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him so he he always mentioned god with such love such reverence that he uh, you know uh, one could one could see that he cannot do anything without god almighty he performed all the obligatory and supererogatory acts of worship with great devotion as uh, anik just mentioned that he would stand all night sometimes for praying to god supplicating to him and once uh, his uh, beloved wife hazrat aisha may allah be pleased with her she even mentioned that do you really need to do so such to make such an effort your your feet are swollen you have been standing all night and you have been praying to god almighty supplicating lamenting crying do you do you really need while you have been given the promise of paradise and that you have been forgiven and he said that aisha you don't want me to be a thankful servant of god so that was his attitude and that was his love for the for for the creator for god almighty he was always mindful of allah and he never forgot him even in the most difficult times we see um so even you know when he was happy he remembered god almighty when he he, he wore a new clothes he would um, remember allah and when he was in in diverse conditions when he was hungry he would still remember allah if you 
um, you know, just going back to when people were digging the ditch in the Battle of Ditch. And they were hungry. Some of them, they had put stones over their uh, bellies or their uh, tummies uh, so that they don't feel the hunger because they, they didn't have enough to eat, but they had to continuously work. And digging was not difficult in that mountainous area. And, um, you know, some, some, some of the companions, they came to the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him. And, and they showed him their their. Uh, tummy, their abdomen, that, and he saw that they had put a stone just to 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 so calm down their hunger pangs. So, you know, he lifted the, his shirt and he showed them that he had put two stones, but he was so hungry uh, that and and he was with them at that time. But he would always thank Almighty for what he had given, and that is why I think that God conversed with him. And God showed him the scenes which he mentioned that once, you know, there was a stone which was difficult to, to break. And, and the companions, they invited him and they said that, O Prophet of Allah, this stone is difficult to be broken. <clears throat> and <clears throat> the Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, himself tried. And, and, and that's in that situation that he was also that hungry, he tried. And every time when he um, hit um, the spade to op to break this stone, he saw in a vision, and he mentioned that uh, once he said that the the um, palaces of Rome have been given to him. A second time he said that the palaces of Iran, Persia at that time were, was given to him, and and the other time he saw the the palaces of Yemen were were given to him. So the, the so God was you know obviously God was promising him. And uh, in such diverse, in in such adverse uh, moments as well, he remembered God Almighty, and God was responding to him, and he was conversing to with God Almighty all the time, and he had that pleasure, and he would, you know, uh, his priority was to spend time with his, in the company of Allah all the time. Uh, he he would often retire even he, in his early life. If you see that he would leave everything, and he would uh, go out out of Mecca, three, two, three miles out. There is a cave of Hira in the Mount of uh, um, Nur. Jabal Nur is called the the the, the, the Mount of Light, um, in which there is a cave right on the on the top, uh, from where the Kaaba is visible from there. Uh, although it's about two to three miles distance from there, but it's uh, straight. You can you can still see Kaaba from there. So even when this is before he was appointed a prophet of God Almighty, and and it's it was a cave of Hera where he actually received his first revelation and he was appointed uh, a prophet by God Almighty. But he, even before that, he would spend his time rem in remembrance of God Almighty, and he would meditate there for hours and hours. And it was not. It was not easy even to climb up that that mount where he used to go to cave Hira. Even today, with although there there has been some stairs made there to ease the um, uh, to go up, but still it is difficult and people find it difficult to go there. But he would go there, spend many days there, and uh, and then would would come back and uh, and continue to meditate and remember his God Almighty. 
he was filled with compassion for all of the creation just because they were the creations of God. And he would always strive to help them. And he would mention that, you know, have pity on, on these creatures because they are creations of God. So even many times it was animals who saw that they were in a, in a difficult situation and he advised the companions to help them out. Um, sometimes a bird whose, uh, whose uh, um, eggs were taken and, and he said that put them back into the nest. Um, sometimes he, he saw a camel and the camel was in a bad shape and he called the master of that camel and he said that this camel has... Um, uh, complained against you. Uh, it's not that the camel was speaking to the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, but he said that, you know, this camel has complained uh, against you because you are not looking after him. I'm seeing the condition of the camel. So such was his, his uh, love for the creation of Allah. He was in himself a model of humility and obedience he always put the will of Allah before his own. So whenever there was a question, he would turn to Allah. He would seek guidance from Allah and, and he would do accordingly whatever he was guided. His love of Allah was so great that it inspired him to bring the message of Islam to the world. It is said that, you know, that what made him, because, you know, anybody could have been made a prophet, and, and because the prophet had a certain uh, qualities and, and, and he had a certain qualities, but the, the reason why we have to invoke the rood upon our holy prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is that he had already reached Allah. He had already the relationship, developed that kind of relationship with Allah where Allah was his friend all the time. But his love was not limited to Allah. He always wanted that whatever he has achieved himself in the form of the love of Allah, the others should not remain devoid of that. He wanted others to have that as well. And that is why he turned to God Almighty and he prayed to Allah. And as a result of his prayers and supplications, God descent or God revealed upon him the Holy Quran the Holy Quran is a message, um, the little word of God, which was revealed unto him. And the main thing, which, which is in the teachings of the Holy Quran, the purpose of the teachings of the Holy Quran is to bring human beings towards God and inculcate in them that love of God, which the kind of love of God, which the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he himself had. And it was out of his love for the human beings that he supplicated to God. And uh, this love of, uh, this, his love of, for the human beings, which is for which we should always be thankful to him and we should always be invoking drood upon him so that we can thank him that because of his love for us human beings, God revealed to him the Holy Quran, which is a guide for us. And acting upon the guidance and the commandments of the Holy Quran, we can reach God Almighty, we can find him, and we can develop that kind of love of God where by just following the example of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him himself.
Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he, he said, as it was mentioned earlier, that he said, and his words were, I love Allah more than I love myself, my family, and all of mankind. So he once, um, uh, as I mentioned, most of the nights he would just stand up and he would he would uh, supplicate to God and he would continue to pray. Even at the time of the Battle of Badr, it is mentioned, when he had been promised that they will be victorious and the God Almighty will, is going to send angels and in thousands who will come and they will bring victory to him. But he kept standing all night praying and supplicating to God. And, and when, some, when, when one of the companions said that, you have been promised the victory, why you are, you are making such an effort that you are, you are you know, supplicating to God Almighty in, in, in so desperately. So he, he answered that although there is a promise from God, and I do trust that promise, but there, there can be some conditions attached to it. He was so compassionate that he would even weep when he saw the suffering even by, by an animal, even you know, for the children, he was so kind. Uh, once, once there was a, a, a little child, a girl who was, you know, standing out, and and she was crying. And he asked her, "Why are you crying?" And she said that uh, my master had sent me to bring something, and she had given me these two coins, and I've lost one, and uh, so that's why she was crying. And he. You know, looking at his position, just imagine that he took that that little girl with him, and uh, and he went and he 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 got the thing what what she needed, and then gave it to her and brought her back to the home. And when the uh, the master of the house when the, he saw the holy prophet may peace peace be upon him himself, you know, they were so surprised and so happy that uh, they they not only you know they forgot to ask anything from that girl but they were so thankful to this girl who because of uh, her the holy prophet may peace be upon him had come to their their home so he was so humble so he, nobody you know sometimes he was he, he would be sitting in the company of the companions and when the when the hazrat abu bakr siddiq you know his companion his uh, friend uh, he his assistant he was there with him but many a times because hazrat abu bakr siddiq um, the truthful he he wore better clothes or uh, you know cleaner clothes people would think sometimes that he is the prophet and turn to him and then he would always point out that uh, you know, and and who he would uh, do something so that people know that he is not it is not him, but it's the holy prophet. May peace be upon him. Um, when they migrated and he they reached Medina, and this is what happened, and because people turned to him, and what he did was that he took a, a piece of cloth and and put a shade over the holy prophet. May peace be upon him, and stood there so that people know who the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, was. So this this is how we see the humility, the humbleness of the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, that he had, you know, nothing to do with the show of whatever he did was true. And his love for God was pure from coming out of from his heart. And that is why there is a very famous incident, which most people are aware of, 
that when the, the opponents, they joined together and the leaders of Quraysh, they came to Abu Talib, who was his uncle, and he was always supportive of him. And they said that, you know, uh, you, you must stop your nephew from preaching. Um, he is talking about God and he inserts our, our gods. So unless you stop them, we are, we are going to boycott you or uh, do not accept you as a leader. We will leave you. And Hazrat Abu Talib, who was his uncle, was looking after him as well. And uh, he, he, he called him in and he said that this is what is happening. They are going to leave me if you don't stop this. And the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, he said, such was his love for God that he said that even if they bring and put the sun on my right hand and, and the moon on the left hand, I'm not going to stop preaching about or telling them about the existence of God. And this is what is my message. Uh, at which Hazrat Abu Talib, you know, when he saw that he was so consistent and such was his love for Allah, so he, said, he said that, go and do whatever you like, I am with you. So, you know, wherever you look upon the any aspect of the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, during you study his life and you would come to, and, and you would agree that all the time, you know, when, when you're fighting wars in the battles, you know, that your morals are shaken at that time because the enmity comes out, your human instincts come out, mm -hmm. but never ever it happened with the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him. His instructions during the wars were that no body who is not fighting with you should be harmed. No woman and children should be harmed. Nobody who's a religious um, teacher should be harmed. No buildings should be destroyed. No crops should be destroyed. No trees should be cut. Such was the rules he made that you can see that out of his love of creation of God, he would always follow the instructions which he gave to the, to the people. And people found that he was the most peaceful man on earth. And they, they found refuge in him. Even the opponents who were fighting against them, once they came to know him, they would always fall in love with him because of his love for God, because the priority was that of God Almighty. And that is why um, we see in his example that, that we, that, that, you know, everywhere you, I think uh, there is I have a Persian you know um, uh, couplet that comes to my mind <laughs> that uh, what it says is agar khahi dalile ashkash pash Muhammad hast burhane Muhammad that if you want the evidence of the truth of Prophet Muhammad you become his lover because he is himself his own evidence. Hmm. So you, if you, if you want to know about him, you study him, and you will know how pure his his passion, his love for God was, and how his priority in everything was his God, and never ever his passion, his his uh, own desires took over, and he was always whatever he did was for the sake of Allah, and his love of Allah was that is why his love of Allah was an inspiration to all who came to know him and who, uh, you know, uh, not only the Muslims, but even his staunch enemies, when they saw his behavior, then they would say 
that you know we believe in the god he believes so the holy quran says that say if you love allah then follow me this is why this is allah has said that that if you love allah then follow me that he said that the holy prophet may peace be upon him he should say that that if then follow me allah will love you and forgive your sins so this is this is the where god himself has become a witness that nobody loved him more than the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him the holy prophet of islam may peace and blessings of allah be upon him he was a man of love he was a loving husband he was a loving father a loving companion he loved humanity he loved animals he loved the poor he loved the oppressed and the marginalized and throughout his life he strove to ameliorate their melancholy plight but it's the love of allah which dominated his heart it is in his love of allah the almighty that he excelled every other creature and creation of allah it is in his love of allah that he remains an excellent exemplar for everyone else to emulate this love found expression in his worship and in his honor of allah the almighty this love found expression in his obedience his faithfulness and in the discharge of his duty to allah the almighty so these are the different aspects we see in the in the life of the holy prophet may peace be upon him how much he loved god almighty and how uh, his all his life was spent in the love of allah uh, as you mentioned earlier dr tariq bajwa even before you know uh, <clears throat> people start saying or you know considering that uh, the holy prophet peace be upon him or the uh, you know he is he assumed that mental of the uh, prophethood it is you know uh, potentially obvious that the love of allah and the love of his worship began to possess the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam this is evident from the fact that even though his childhood you know boyhood and youth had been spent in the corrupt and debased society which makkah was at this time he never engaged in any of the evil practices and uh, you know uh, and, and and his fellow citizens he never paid homage to an idol nor uh, did he partake of any food presented to an idol as offering and revolting against the many vices of the people of makkah he would repair with provisions uh, to the solitary confines of cave hira two or three miles out of town where he would spend several days at a time in the worship day and night of allah it is indeed on one such occasion while in the very cave hira that he received the divine call inviting him to the ministry an event which changed the course of his history, of the history that which you know inspired the holy prophet peace be upon him first and last was his duty to god after receiving the call he demonstrated his love of allah through his devotion to duty in the face of persecution and preparation that were bitter cruel and sustained nothing and no one could affect his high resolve and no consideration could stand in the way of the performance of his duty the people of makka sought to place all sorts of temptations in his way to pursue him to give up his opposition to idol worship and you know in the beginning <clears throat> dr tariq bajwa has mentioned how they came to his uncle and presented everything that we are ready to give everything you know if he stop 
you know, preaching about God Almighty. And the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, replied that I cannot stop it. That's what God Almighty has told me to do it. And we see there's Hazrat Abu Talib. He stood next to him. And uh, even though, you know, Hazrat Abu Talib was not ready to declare his faith in the Prophet's message, but was quite fond of him and must have felt a surge of pride at his firm and noble's resolve that he was moved to say, go, go thy way, do thy way as thou seest it. May people may disown me, but I will stand by thee. So I think that's what he has seen and have seen that, uh, you know, uh, his nephew from very young age, that how he used to worship God Almighty, the, 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 the faith he had on God Almighty. And, uh, you know, he has seen himself and we believe that uh, he was from his, his in his heart he understood he is prophet of you know god almighty and that's why he helped him all the time and he stood next to him and you know when uh, until he was alive and taking his breath in this uh, world he tried his level best to protect uh, the holy prophet peace be upon him as you're mentioning you know every aspect of the holy prophet uh, peace be upon his life was colored by his love for and devotion to god in spite of the very heavy responsibilities that had been laid upon his shoulders the greater portion of his time during the day as well as the during night was spent in the worship and the praise of Allah the Almighty. He you know, would leave bed at midnight and devote himself to the worship of God till it was time to go to the mosque for the morning prayers. He prayed till his prayer mat become wet with tears. He wept till his breast, you know, had like a boiling pot. He sometimes stood so long in prayer during, you know, the, the late part of the night that his feet would get swollen. And those who saw him in that condition were always much affected. When his holy consort, Hazrat Aisha, may Allah please with her, was uh, moved to venture a mild pro you know, protest against such prolonged devotion, the Holy Prophet answered, If Allah has, by His grace and mercy, conferred His love and nearness upon me, is it not my duty to return to be always rendering and thanks to Him? That's what we discussed earlier. And that's what the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was. You know, even though he is coming uh, to, to his wife and most of the time, and, you know, sometimes when taking permission from wives that if you allow me that if, if I can pray and worship God Almighty. And, you know, the, even the wives were so spiritual and they understood who he was. He gave him a permission. And this is the, you know, noble characteristic of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. He didn't say, okay, I want to pray. I would, I'll go for the prayer. He even asked, you know, the wife, would, it, would you allow me to worship God Almighty and remember God Almighty? And he prayed all night. So this was the, you know, noble uh, example and you know, the, the characteristic of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. You know, with a few <clears throat> honorable uh, exceptions uh, through 14 centuries, Western critics have constantly ignored all that was, uh, you know, patently good and beneficent in the life of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and have been anxious to paint his portrait with bright colors or falsehood. But in truth, every action of the life of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was governed by his love of Allah the Almighty. Everything he did was an act of worship. A book published by the Ahmadiyya Muslim community entitled Invocations of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, illustrated 
or illustrates that the case in point it catalogs hundreds of prayers which the holy prophet peace be upon him recited on all occasions from the ceremonies of religion to the ritual of daily life the holy prophet uh, peace be upon him supplicated allah the almighty when arising in the morning and when you know going to sleep at night he supplicated he supplicated when starting a meal and upon you know its completion so even you know you're wearing clothes and you know going to a toilet everything there's a prayer you know to god almighty and you know come in his protection in a somehow that god protect him through the prayers and you know to to make everybody realize even all the muslims that whatever we are doing regardless we're eating we're drinking is from god almighty it's a blessing of god almighty we're eating is a blessing we are finished you know without choking it's a blessing of god almighty you know uh, we have slept and we woke up is a you know again is grace of god almighty so anything we do if we are wearing new clothes is because of god almighty god has given us ability and you know provision or money or wealth to buy those clothes so every single thing if we think about it yes indeed it's you know blessing of god almighty god has given us if god has stopped and with this so many people we see they are unfortunate they do not have those means then you know that's what he understood and that's what he portrayed to his companion that that's how you have to love god almighty you know one of his is oft recited prayers which was very favorite to him it mm. was which which not only shows how much he loved allah but also how much he longed for the love of allah mm. and that that prayer is very very interesting uh, prayer and it says oh allah grant me thy love and the love of those who love thee and the love of those deeds which enable me to attain the love thy love oh, oh allah make thy love dearer to me than my life my family and dearer to me than cold refreshing water to a man dying of thirst so that is that is such a beautiful prayer um uh, and uh, even you know when and you read in arabic you know yeah. it's in such a beautiful rhythm you mm. know allahumma inni as'aluka hubbaka wa hubbuka ma yuhibbuka wa amalul ladhi yuballighuni hubbaka so so it's beautiful to to learn and then recite and and when only somebody who is really in love and he wants and he's keen to have the love of god can can supplicate in such a manner and that is an example which we should learn as the holy prophet may peace be upon him uh, loved allah so did he love the word of allah whenever he heard the holy quran being recited he was overcome by emotion and tears would fell up, would fall upon his eyes and whenever he referred to or discoursed about god it appeared to onlookers as if his whole being was in the grip of a passion of love for and devotion to god so much was this so that even his enemies in makkah would often remark muhammad is intoxicated with the love of his lord such was the desire of the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him to please his beloved lord that he never entered upon any undertaking without divine command or permission when persecution in makkah became very severe and life became unbearable he gave permission to his companions to migrate to abyssinia and though some of them expressed their desire for him to join them he declined on the grounds that he had yet not received divine permission to to do that thus he chose to endure privations in the cause of allah until such time as he was commanded to migrate to medina where there is love there is a jealous regard for the beloved so it was with the holy prophet may peace be upon him in his love of allah 
he had an extreme sense of jealousy for the honor of Allah the Almighty. And one incident which sums this up happened after the cessation of hostilities in the Battle of Ohad. As the exhausted and badly wounded Muslim army gathered around the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, the Meccans, they raised slogans one after the other to the effect that they had, God forbid, killed the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, Hazrat Abu Bakr and Hazrat Umar as well. The Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, heard those boastful cries. But on each occasion, he forbade the Muslims from answering, lest the enemy should know the truth and attack again. Then the enemy raised a cry in praise of their national idol, Glory to Hubal, Glory to Hubal, for Hubal has put an end to Islam. The Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, could not bear that. He could not bear the boast against the one and only God Almighty. Only remnants of his small force remained and the enemy forces were large and they were buoyant. But the jealousy of the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, had been aroused by this insert to Almighty Allah. Even though his only own safety and that of the small band of Muslims lay in keeping silent, he could no longer restrain himself. He looked angrily at the Muslims and he said, Why stand silent and make no reply to this insert to Allah? The only God, the Muslims asked, what should they say, O Prophet? He replied, and the Muslims shouted that accordingly, Allah alone is great and mighty. He alone is high and honored. This cry stupefied the enemy for they released the, that they had not succeeded. They realized that they had not succeeded in the killing of the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him. But they dared not attack again. So this, this is such an example of his love for the honor of the name of Allah that, you know, you, you can't present any other example um, where, you know, you, people will, you will find that he is in a dangerous position. He is vulnerable at that point, but he is, does not bear that any, <clears throat> the honor should be, uh, of God Almighty comes at stake. Another <laughs> remarkable scene was witnessed when Makkah was conquered without any bloodshed by the Muslims and the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, and his companions marched triumphantly into the city within eight years of their flight therefrom. There are a thousand and one things the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, could have done upon re-entering his own hometown after so long. He could have sought reunion with friends and family. He could have proceeded to the tombs of his beloved wife, Hazrat Khadija, and uncle Abu Talib. He could have called to account the Meccan leaders who had left no stone unturned in their persecution of the Muslims. But the first thing the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, did was to proceed to the Holy Kaaba. And having performed the circuit of it, he directed the demolition of all 360 idols that were installed inside and around the Holy Kaaba. The Holy Prophet um, saw every action and practice which savored of idolatry and he, it is patently obvious that the presence of idols in the house of Allah had been consuming his soul. His soul could now rest in peace in the realization that the Holy Kaaba had been restored to his original purpose, that of worship of one true God. And you know the love which the Holy Prophet, uh, peace be upon him, had uh, for his Lord is also evident uh, from the way he submitted to the will of Allah the Almighty in the face of extreme adversity. 
throughout his life he encountered a succession of bitter experiences he was born an orphan his mother died while he was still a small child and he lost his grandfather at the age of 8 after marriage he had to bear the loss of several children one after another and then his beloved and devoted wife as a khatija may allah be pleased with her died a month later he lost his uncle abu talib some of the wives he married after hazrat khatija death you know died during his lifetime and towards the close of his life he had to bear the loss of his his son ibrahim he bore all these losses and climbed cheerfully and accepted the will of allah the almighty on all occasions indeed on the loss of his son ibrahim he uttered those heartrending words of grief which have become a formula for the mourning mourning of a departed soul the eyes shed tear and the heart grieves he said yet we say not anything that would offend our lord ibrahim we grieve solely thy parting to allah we belong and to him shall we all return yet even as he grieved he displayed a you know singular sense of honor of allah the almighty an eclipse of the sun occurred on the same day that his son ibrahim died and some people spoke of it as mark of divine condolence the holy prophet peace be upon him love of allah would not permit such a misguided notion to gain currency he expressed great displeasure and severely commanded it explaining that heavenly bodies and their phenomena are governed by divine laws and had no relation to the life of death of any person the holy prophet peace be upon him was most forgiving and forbearing and respect of personal wrongs or injuries against him his judgments were always tempered with mercy but when it came to the dis- discharge of binding obligation and the commands of justice imposed upon him by his duty he love his love of allah would not allow him to fail to exercise sternness when the occasion required it of him once a daughter of a prominent arab chief was caught stealing her name was fatima the same as that of the holy prophet peace be upon him's daughter some people were asking for mercy as she was the daughter of powerful chief they prevailed upon you know osma bin zaid whom the holy prophet peace be upon him loved dearly to intercede on her behalf he proceeded to do so but this annoyed the holy prophet uh, peace be upon him so much that the vein on his forehead darkened what do you mean by by this intercession he asked i would most certainly have done what allah wants me to do even if my daughter fatima had committed the crime such was the holy prophet of islam peace be upon him little wonder then that we find his love for allah regretted manifold by allah his beloved little wonder that he is assured by the holy holy quran of blessings from allah and his angels little wonder that the believers are commanded in the holy quran to invoke blessings upon him when it enjoins allah and his angels send blessings on the prophet or you believe you also should invoke blessings on him and salute him 
with the salutation of peace the holy quran when the time of his departure from his life was near he was given a choice by god either to return to him or to spend more some more years in the you know earthly existence his response was to the companionship of my exalted lord to the companionship of my exalted lord these were the last words he uttered before passing on to life eternal the holy prophet peace be upon him chose death so that he could live forever in the love of allah he indeed proved himself to be a loving faithful loyal steadfast humble obedient servant of allah the almighty his every thought every movement every action his very being was devoted to god in the effort to seek closer communication or communion with him this is affirmed by divine testimony he was directed by the holy quran to say my prayer and my sacrifice and my life and my death are all for allah the lord of all the worlds he has no partner and so am i commanded and i am the first of those who submit so this is the noble life or noble you know character of the holy prophet peace be upon him he is the prophet we follow and is our duty that if we call ourselves to be muslim then we should call follow his footstep in a best manner and inculcate all his you know actions and habits and the footsteps within us and love almighty as he has loved and may allah enable us to do so and uh, may allah you know enable us to follow the commandments of allah the almighty and every action we do we do to please allah the almighty we fulfill the right of god almighty and may allah enable us to fulfill the right of human being with this i would like to thank the producers of today's show and the technical team working behind the scenes and uh, we'll join you back uh, next week or tomorrow as well but i will be next week until next time assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh